Our scripture reading today is from the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. A word of thanksgiving and prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The word of the Lord. Well, today we wrap up our fall sermon series. The title has been, Here We Go. We're on a journey as a congregation. At the same time, we recognize that we've always been on a journey, the journey of the church. The church began at a particular point in time and then expanded throughout the world. So amazing to think about how, how, you know, when we open up our Bibles, we're talking about, in general, a specific point on the globe that is not very near to this point on the globe. And yet here we are, reading these texts, relating to the God who was revealed in that place and time. And it's all because the church has been on a journey, and that journey continues. And this congregation has a place in that. And each one of us who attends this church, those of us who are members, friends of this church, have a part in that and a stake in that as well. And so we're at a point in our life together at North Creek Presbyterian Church of of moving forward, of of identifying this time as a time when when we're going to be making some decisions about the future, about the near-term future, the long-term future, And just about waking up tomorrow morning and saying, what's important for us to do? What's important for us to be about here at North Creek Presbyterian Church? Well, we're wrapping up this series, and and we've studied the five essential practices of the church, the early church in the book of Acts. Prayer is the focus of this final sermon. Now, we've already covered prayer as one of the essentials insofar as prayer is a part of worship, which we've covered. We covered that two weeks ago. But prayer is also, in the church, in the Christian life, is a core capacity that cuts across everything that we do. It 
is for those who are gifted for ministry, which is what we talked about last week. We explored that in Ephesians chapter 4. This week we take a look at prayer, and specifically in the text that we just read, which is the initial prayer in the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 1. And we look at that as a pattern of prayer for our journey, for the journey of the church and the journey of the Christian life. The place where we begin is the place where this prayer begins, and that is in non-stop thanks. Yes, it just so happens that it's seasonally appropriate as we begin transitioning into November. We're recognizing that we have one major holiday coming up tomorrow, and, uh, or actually Tuesday, All Saints Day, right? There you go. Uh, and the holiday that comes one day before that, on the eve of All Saints Day, or All Souls Day. Um, but really, we're, we're kind of zeroing in on Thanksgiving. And so November is a month of Thanksgiving. And we note that this prayer begins with a statement about nonstop thanks and prayerful remembrance. Verse 15, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The practice of giving thanks to God, giving thanks to God for people who we remember in our prayers, is meant to be relentless. Meant to be relentless. And I just want to say it from the outset, that God can handle it. God can handle us all frequently praying prayers, naming to God the people who we appreciate along the path of the Christian life. There's no limit. Christian author Anne Voskamp, in her book, 1,000 Gifts, a book that we studied a number of years ago, reminds us of the life-transforming power of eucharisteo, which is the Greek word for thanksgiving. It's a Greek word that is built upon the root of the word for grace, which is also the word for gift, charis, eucharisteo. It's about giving thanks for God's good gifts. The people are gifts. Gifts to the church. Gifts to God's work in the world. Gifts to you and to me. The thanksgiving that is spoken of in this prayer is more than simply a reminder to be a grateful person. As in, be grateful for everything, even those things that are really hard. Or even when you go through difficult times and others mistreat you, find something to be grateful for. That is a, a great part of the, of the virtue of gratitude. It can transform us. But that's not what's being talked about here because you note that it's based on the remembrance and recognition of things that are worthy of thanksgiving. Here, it is the people's faith in the Lord Jesus that is motivating that gratitude. 
It's also their love for all God's people, reflecting on the people's love for one another is the opening for the words of thanksgiving, for this prayerful appreciation. Now, we've been talking throughout this series about our own travels. When you think about it, gratitude is a supremely helpful virtue when it comes to the subject of travel. So, there's one thing that we really haven't mentioned a lot during this series, and some of you might have struggled with this a bit. And that is, when we talk about travels, the, the places we've gone, and maybe the style in which we have gone to those places, it brings up some potential challenging emotions. One emotion that could come up, or a feeling, would be discontent. Maybe we think about the places we have always wanted to go, but have never been. I think that none of us, is it safe to say, that none of us has gone or will go everywhere that we want to go. We have limits. We are limited to a number of years on this earth, even if we are blessed with good health and plenty of funds. Okay, so speaking of plenty of funds, that's the next thing. <laughs> Is we all have, can relate to the concept of travel. We've talked about hiking. Could even just be simply going out for a walk or, or being walked. We've talked about uh, going on road trips. We've talked about going on ships, on a cruise perhaps. We've talked about maybe taking an airplane to a faraway destination. Sometimes when we share with each other our travels, we can find ourselves being envious. Envious when we compare the travels that we have taken and the travels that others have taken or are taking. That's a natural response. It's also, I think, a natural response in the church along our journey. We can find ourselves discontent when we compare our experience of the church, maybe with someone else's experience at another church or in another city. We certainly can we know what it's like to feel envious of other congregations that may have more resources than us. So it's maybe when you take it from uh, the travel, the, the, the illustration of travel where, where someone who's traveled in style to a place far across the globe, and we've never even come near experiencing that, we might be envious of that. But we know it's a, it's a temptation in the church, isn't it, to look at, at churches that have more resources and more people, and they seem to be much more cool than us, and, and they, they seem to do everything with more style, and, and their pastor has all of these books out in the bookstore, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I've learned over the years is that, is that as soon as you think, where whatever church you're in, as soon as you think that that, that is what you need to be doing, you need to remember that there are just as many Christians who are struggling with envy of you and your church. Because a place like North Creek, there are a lot of churches, a lot of small churches, 
churches in our presbytery, for instance, that look to North Creek and say, oh, look at all the resources you have. Have you been in their sanctuary? It's four times as big as our sanctuary. And, and they have modern stuff. They have, they have the technology and all of that all set up. And wow, they sure were prepared for COVID. Now around here, we didn't feel prepared for COVID at all. And yet, I think, do you get the point? That point of, of we can always find things to be discontent with, things to compare ourselves to others around. Gratitude for what we have experienced and the people we've met along the way, the places we've been, the sights we've seen, goes a long way to guarding against getting stuck there. You know, when we think about our own travels, when we go through the photographs that we've taken when we've been there, we don't have a lot of time when we're thinking back through that to think about, oh, I wish we would have gone another place too and got, maybe stayed at better hotels. We're focused on really celebrating and really appreciating what we experienced. And sometimes the most simple journeys are the most memorable. As many in our congregation gathered for an envisioning workshop a week ago, we participated in an exercise that we called tagging. Tagging the people who we appreciated and remembered as making a difference in the life of this congregation and, and in our lives. Admittedly, uh, it was a powerful experience to be in the fellowship hall as these luggage tags were brought in. And True confessions, I, I really didn't do the math on this before we started the, the, the project because I didn't do the, okay, we distributed five luggage tags for each person to write uh, the name of a person they were thanking God for, and we handed those out to 90 people. So there's math for you right there. We did not have a big enough space for nearly 500 of those. But then everyone was coming in saying, hey, Pastor Kurt, you should have given us more because we have more names of people to thank God for. And so I really think that if, if we truly did this and really kind of leaned into the experience, the number of names would have been easily into the thousands. And that's just on one morning. What we did in this exercise, I encourage us to continue doing as we move forward in the journey. To appreciate people in our prayers and by tagging them through social media and thank you cards and phone calls, letting them know that they are appreciated. Appreciating the people that we proclaim the gospel with, or maybe even the people who led us to faith in Christ. That's the key to our kerygma. The appreciating people who we've served with or we've been served by, that really dials up our diakonia. What about appreciating the people we've been taught by or learned from? That might deepen our didache as a congregation. And the people we've related to or related with in fellowship, when we think about that, that's what captivates our sense of koinonia. And then finally, we reflect on the people that we might look around and see today, the people we worship with and pray with and for, that really lifts up our liturgia. Well, like most Christian prayers, the prayer in Ephesians 1 begins in thanksgiving and then moves into petitions, specific requests or asks made of God on behalf of or for the well-being of others. And this particular prayer has an overarching theme. 
And that theme is to know. To know. K-N-O-W. To know. Of all the things that we could ask God for, here the most important thing is that God's people know something. And not just one thing. There's a repetition of this prayer that we would know that we would have a personal experience of, that we would have a fresh appreciation for, that we would have a true understanding of. And along this theme, we find it's an encouragement to know as we go. There are at least three things that we are encouraged to know as we go as we journey along the path of the church and the Christian life. The first is in verse 17. So that you may know God better. That is the number one petition that is being raised up in this prayer. That we be given by God a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but the purpose of that is that we would know God better. That's really what it's all about. It's all about a relationship between God and God's people. And that we would know God better. Does anyone here feel like they've gotten to the end of that? Have you gotten to the end of it and say, yeah, God, in all God's infinite majesty and glory and the mysteries associated with God and God being God and us being us, Eh, I've seen all that can be seen. I, I know all that could ever be known. This is a prayer for all seasons and all places and times. It's the, it's the prayer at the heart of the church that we know God better. As we move forward as a church, as we start to make kind of strategic statements about what's important to us, May we always remember the relationship at the center and the deepening of that relationship. The second knowledge that we are uh, called for is to know the hope to which Christ has called us. So it's to know hope, a particular kind of hope, in order that you may know the hope to which God has called us. That's in verse 18. To know the hope. The hope. Something about the future that conditions our present and transforms our thoughts and our attitudes and what we even think is possible because of what the future holds, because of the security of the future, because of what God has done. God has called us to something that is not over yet. It has only just begun. And so with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, let's look forward in hope, anticipating the things that God is going to do. And finally, to know the power of Jesus at work among us. In verse 19, we read, and that we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then the prayer goes deep. 
into explaining what kind of power we're actually talking about here. That it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. We spent a lot of time this last uh, spring talking about that. Right after Easter, we had a whole sermon series on the power of God that was demonstrated in Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And here in another place in the New Testament, and it happens all over the place in the scriptures, to be reminded of how we have seen God work in power and that that is the very same power that is at work in our very lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power at work within us by God's Holy Spirit. It's amazing to think about. And then when we think about the Spirit uniting us, and working among us with that power. And not just this congregation, but the church throughout the world. People with, from different ethnic groups and who speak different languages. And yet we're all being empowered by God to give witness to Jesus Christ. And to introduce people to the hope of God's calling. And to lead people to know Christ and to know God better and deeper. When I look at this three-part prayer that we might know, it draws my attention to travel again, to the guide, the destination, and the power to get there. We are called as a church and in our walks with the Lord to get to know the tour guide. We don't travel through this life on our own. We travel with Christ. Christ leads us. In fact, discipleship, the literal meaning of that term is to walk in another's footsteps. Jesus makes those footsteps, those footprints, and we step in those and follow Jesus where Jesus leads, into places where people need to be served because they're suffering into places where people need to hear the word of salvation, into places where people need to learn about God's love for them. He's also the one who leads us, who prepares us for what's ahead, for the travel. He travels with us. He guards us and guides us. I mean, after all, what is a shepherd other than a tour guide? I mean, when you think about it. Now, sheep don't have great travel needs, at least not the ones that I've met. But the shepherd is the one who guides them along, protects them along, who gets them from one place to another. And one of the, the biggest places, I mean, you, first of all, they're getting them to a place where they can eat. Very important for sheep and us. But also to a place of safety in the evening. So we get the opportunity to know our tour guide. And then there's the destination, to know where we're going, what we hope to see and do there, for our present lives to be lived in anticipation of the experience of the future. Think about what it feels like when you've decided to travel and you're excited about this travel, this trip. Some of us put a lot of time and energy, a lot of our leisure available time into planning a trip. And as that excitement builds, have you experienced this? 
as the excitement builds. I mean, it, it, I get that excitement when I'm gearing up, literally gearing up, deciding like what to put in my backpack for a hike. Um, I'm gearing up for a camping trip. I'm getting excited about what it's going to be like to, to just be there, no strings attached, just kicking back. Um, whatever that is, think of that anticipation for that journey, and that's the anticipation of looking ahead to the hope that God has for us in our Christian lives and in the church, and in this church, North Creek. And then finally, the power to get us there, the ability to get us to the destination. You know, we really need trustworthy modes of transportation. We need sufficient fuel to power us along the trails. That fuel is in the form usually of energy bars uh, and water. Uh, the roads, right? We need, we need gasoline or electricity for our automobiles. We need, uh, for this uh, being in a ship as we sail the seas, we need power. Same with when we travel the airways, if there's not sufficient power, we're not going to reach the destination. But think about how many times that we've taken for granted the fact that there was sufficient power after all. It got us there. Now, some of us have great stories about times when their uh, car, perhaps it was just a few years ago, where their 1999 Dodge Caravan did not have the power to get them from point A to point B. And you have great stories of meeting wonderful people as in, as in tow truck drivers who pick you up along the road and get you to the destination. But guess what? Guess who had the power? The tow truck driver. Again, a shout-out to AAA. I had to get one more shout-out to AAA uh, in, in this series. And by the way, uh, someone mentioned last, last week I talked about the triptych. By the way, and some of you know this, like that's not a thing of the past. They still do triptychs. So just shout-out for, for uh, AAA. Anyway, as we bring this to a conclusion, for our life journey and our journey as a congregation, let's pray into knowing as we go that we might know our guide, that we might know the hope of our assured destination, and that we might know with confidence the power that is at work within us and among us as the church. We began this series considering the astounding itinerary that Jesus has laid before us in the words of the Great Commission. And we explored the way the early church began to travel along this itinerary, developing those five essential practices that were portable and went wherever they went as they witnessed to Jesus Christ in the world. Last week we talked about the fact that Jesus provides the people power. And today, we take all of this with us on our journey forward. Surrounded by prayers of thanksgiving, nonstop prayers. And asking to know, to know God better, to know the hope and to know the power. With all of these things with us, we will be well supplied for our future journeys. So here 